Hello and welcome to People of Tech with me, Charles Commons, the podcast where I speak to leading figures discussing the current climate and the future of technology in their industries. Along the way, we'll learn more about the people behind the job title and share their thoughts and opinions on their role in this week's episode. Cybersecurity, it's one inch in depth when one mile wide. The CEO of those companies put cybersecurity risk higher than bankruptcy. The mentality that I found in Singapore in terms of cybersecurity awareness, I didn't find it anywhere in the world until now. Radu Stanescu is the CEO of Sandline, an IT security firm based in Romania and a senior information security consultant at the European Parliament. I began our chat by asking Radu to tell me about the journey of his career. Everything started somewhere in the summer of 1999. I was still in high school, in a computer science high school in Bucharest, Romania, and I was really into programming. And at that time, I remember very well, it was uh, Turbo Pascal. <laughs> and um, that's how it all started. Uh, I started on programming, in parallel doing some system administration, learning to do I mean then network administration, and after all this, the forbidden fruit, the security part, entered into, into my life, and I started playing around with uh, different um, vulnerabilities that you can find. At that period, uh, the cybersecurity industry was, uh, I would say, a little bit undeveloped, if you're looking now, and it was really fun to... to have access somewhere where normally other people won't. So it was like a personal challenge that I, I took every time. And slowly I started doing um, trainings from uh, Cisco for networking because I, I needed this background for uh, the, the, the security part. And because the, the programming part was already there from the high school, networking was the other part, and uh, I was already starting doing uh, system administration. That was really far away. I started my first security job in 2005 at the first company of cybersecurity oriented on penetration testing services in Romania at that time. And I worked there till, um, till 2007 when I, I created my, uh, my own company, Sandline. And then in parallel, I was doing uh, consulting services for different organizations. And somewhere in um, 2010, I met a very good friend of mine now. That back then, he was just a teacher on advanced penetration testing techniques in the US. Um, and he became also a friend. And I, I, he, he recommended me, look, you should focus on social media. You should first start teaching other person how to do ethical hacking because this was what I was doing at the, at the time. And after three years of um, teaching and uh, developing my LinkedIn um, network uh, more and more, I got a phone call from uh, someone asking me if I'm interested in a position in Brussels. I was a little bit reluctant in the beginning because um, in that period there were several offers coming from here 
due to all the Sony um, attacks that happened in, in that uh, period. And I was not really keen on uh, going to, to Sony. I don't know. I didn't have the, the chemistry <laughs> with, with this. But the moment that I heard it's about the European Parliament, I said, mm, okay, that's a nice challenge to take on. And um, here I am, three years after, still here, still doing uh, what I am enjoying, consulting, and um, yeah, vulnerability assessment and penetration testing the, for the Parliament network. So you've worked then in IT and, and, and cybersecurity for the whole of your career then. So going back to when you were at high school, what, what was it that actually made you want to make a career out of, uh, out of this? Was there a spark in you as a, as a child or anything? Yeah, in fact, there was um, in the sixth grade, I had to, to switch from the only French school in Bucharest where everything was um, taught in, in French, I had to, to change to the Romanian school. And for me, it was quite a big change because all the environment was changing, the, the, the language of the school and everything. So my parents asked me, look, what do you want in exchange of that? And I said, okay, I want a computer, but you don't know how to use a computer. I said, no problem, I will learn. And I started doing the first Turbo Pascal uh, courses I really enjoyed it. In uh, 1995, I got my first computer, which I remember it was a Pentium 75. I remember it was really funny at that date because my parents had to sign uh, something at the customs that that computer will not be used for military exfiltration of data. It was in Romania in 1995. They were not understanding very well what it is a computer and what person can do for it and it looked like why why would i sign something like that a few years after when i entered in the chase of the forbidden fruit let's say uh, seeing how you can uh, break things i started to understand why they had uh, that form to be filled and signed by my parents so so was it something that not a lot of your peers actually had access to then uh a, a computer at that age Definitely, and not, not not to a Pentium seventy five. That was really top notch. I I got it uh, coming from Finland or somewhere. What what did your parents actually think at that point? I mean, you you said that they sort of went, well, how would you? What would you do with it? You don't know how to use it. Were, were they quite surprised? I I was uh, so I remember it was for for Christmas the per, the present my my Christmas present it was and. I, I came home, I entered the house, and, and I saw it on the on my desk. And I was like shocked. Like I, I, I had no more breath, no more. I was like, is that a joke? Or if that's a joke, it's a really bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I remember the first software I started because I knew it from the trainings that I was doing. It was Microsoft Paint. <laughs> I could draw something. Um, the same week I installed Turbo Pascal, I got it from the, the course on uh, some uh, floppy disk. I installed Turbo Pascal and I started playing around with Turbo Pascal back then. Where I was doing the classes, they were creating the first manual in Romanian for Turbo Pascal. And I wrote a couple of the examples, programs in that book. So can you tell us a little bit about the kind of work you do for the European Parliament then, Radu, please? 
currently I'm, uh, I'm basically I'm doing the same thing that I, I've always enjoyed doing and that's what uh, keeps me even late at work uh, sometimes is um, I'm doing probability assessment with uh, classic tools and yeah different uh, commercial or open source uh, tools but what I really enjoy doing and I'm focusing more and more on this thing is the real uh, penetration testing projects. I mean, the manual part where you need to think, where you need to improvise, when you need to have out-of-the-box ideas to, to find issues where yeah, some tools uh, definitely cannot find them. And the third part of activity is... Um, something which I'm involved lately in the last year and a half, let's say, where um, I'm also doing consulting in terms of the cybersecurity risk management uh, part. I mean, it's not only, okay, you have this project, you need to, to test it, to break it, but also, well, we have this upcoming project. What are your opinions? Where should we be paying more attention to it? What, uh, what is the, the design phase, uh, the security in the design phase, the implementation phase, and what are the risks for each of them, and the mitigations for at the, uh, each and every level. So are you now doing less of the actual testing, uh, the actual sort of work, if you like, uh, in, in detail, and doing more of the consultative side of things? I would say, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> so it's not something that you necessarily wanted to be doing. It, it's just the natural progression of, of how it's worked out for you. Yeah, because in my opinion, you cannot reach, let's say, the top if you didn't start from installing a network card on a computer and going then to programming and having... Because uh, the this guy I was telling you about, it was an instructor of mine in the United States, told me something which stuck me very, stick to me with very, very tight. It's like, look, cybersecurity is not like all the other IT fields where you're going on system administration, you know, go from A to Z to everything. No, cybersecurity, it's one inch in depth when one mile wide terms of what you need to do in order to be good. So you need to know a little bit of network, you need to know a little bit of operating system, a little bit of programming, a little bit of reverse engineering. You need to know a little bit of everything so that you can have the wide uh, vision of, okay, what can get can I get wrong so that I can break what the developers did. So unless you have this kind of view, uh, it's quite hard to, to have good results uh, because you need to think out of the box. You need to know how components are interacting. So that's something that takes some time and you need to trade your view on a lot of fields from uh, social engineering to physical pen testing to CCTV camera pen testing where it was uh, one, one year I focused only on CCTV cameras and their security and how they can be bypassed. So there are many aspects that you need to take into consideration. And in order to, to do a risk assessment, you need to, to be able to analyze all these possible inputs to the system. So that's why it takes a little bit of experience. Why I'm saying I'm, unfortunately, I'm doing less uh, of technical stuff, less than before, but I'm still doing it, um, is that I really enjoy breaking things. And I like to do the, the risk analysis for myself and then go deeper where I found the crack to, to exploit that crack more. 
Time for a quick break now, but when we return, Radu will give his opinion on the current threat landscape. Content marketing is, it's our obsession. Consumers are always being bombarded with content. So white papers, mostly they are used, I guess, to persuade people. When you're refreshing content, really you're updating it. Go through your notifications every day and respond to people that are connecting with you. We've seen a real fundamental shift in the dynamics of marketing over the last 10 to 15 years. Tech Demand Weekly, the weekly podcast for marketing professionals. Now they know that I'm not just playing the sport for fun, I'm watching the scoreboard. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to People of Tech. This week, I'm joined by Radu Stanescu, a senior information security consultant at the European Parliament. I asked Radu for his opinion on the current threat landscape. I think that people are still neglecting the cybersecurity aspect and they are still having that mindset, ah, this won't happen to me. Um, the responsibility of, uh, of cybersecurity should be a each and every level of organizations, from my point of view, starting from the I don't know, operator of the computer uh, at the, the cashier in the bank or in, in, a, in a store, till uh, his manager, the networking guy, the systems guy, the um, I don't know, human resource department, where it's, it's a really important thing at the human resource department. I'm seeing a lot of companies which are not doing background checks on their employee, but they are giving them really a lot of information access. So I think that if everybody would do his small part, and mainly in in, uh, the last couple of years, to be aware that at any point in time, he can be the target, or not not necessarily the target, but the entry point to the target of the attacker, then cybersecurity will be a lot, uh, a lot better uh, in terms of uh, maturity level. But I cannot express how many times I'm hearing from friends of mine where I say, "Look, you should protect your website. You have an online store. Let me help you." I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm your friend. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm giving you some friendly advice that it's not good the way that you're doing your business. At some point, something will strike you. And you might even go out of business completely. And they're saying, yeah, whatever, what, what can happen to me? What? Now with the GDPR, I see a slight change, but it's just really, really slow. Um, so I, this is the, fir- the first problem, the, the awareness and the, the levels of each of them. Second, um, in the last four years on, uh, on the company, company part, we created um, a vulnerability tracking and reporting platform that uh, is helping companies to have the transparency at all the levels of the current status of, of, the, of their cybersecurity risks. Because what, I, what happens in a lot of cases um, the information of a risk doesn't reach the decision makers or the guys which are able to allocate resources, budget people, or necessary other trainings. 
So a lot of times, this is also another problem which I'm I'm seeing in a lot of companies. They have a, a security team, they have an IT team, but still the person which is deciding is, let's say, the CFO. And the CFO doesn't have the information that is necessarily in order to decide, okay, I need to allocate 100K for you to, to solve this risk. And um, yeah, I, I think that these are the two main issues that we're facing in all the data breach that we, we've seen in the last year or even two, three years. You're not alone in, in, in the people that I've spoken to for this podcast series. They are all saying the same thing to me, which is that on, on a certain level, people aren't taking their cybersecurity seriously enough. Um, they're not necessarily saying that, you know, that is exactly why the breaches have happened that we've seen over the last couple of years. But um, there, there's definitely an underlining tone to um, to cybersecurity in, in a way that maybe businesses are just so focused on, on, on profit margins and obviously making money if they're, you know, for their shareholders that, that they kind of just sort of go, well, that's the most important thing. And then cybersecurity gets, gets left behind a little bit and is kind of like looked at as being, we've got a team that's dealing with that, let them deal with it. Um, but then, not necessarily being given the budget to be able to actually um, make sure that they are as a, as secure as they could possibly wish to be, um, and and I suppose it's it's naivety and, and and a little bit of ignorance maybe from from people that don't understand the the importance of it. Um, I, I know that when I've spoken to Steve Wright, who at the time was the uh, DPO at uh, John Lewis, he's now at the Bank of England. Um, he was sort of saying that you know he was quite lucky in terms of he had his budget set for him um, and when he was at John Lewis and it was quite a decent amount of money. It still wasn't quite as much as he wanted, but it was more than what he was expecting to get. Um, so he kind of feels that maybe in other companies, it was a case of um, the budget just isn't there and, and given to the cybersecurity arm of the business. Um, so you're not alone, Radu. It, it does seem as though it's happening all over the world, all over every organization, every business, where it is a case of, uh, of essentially maybe people just not quite understanding the, the severity and the importance of their cybersecurity. Yeah, I was, I was reading uh, a couple of weeks ago a survey did on um, Fortune 500 or 1,000 in the United States. And it's for the first time since they're doing uh, this survey where the CEO of those companies put cybersecurity risk higher than bankruptcy. This somehow signals a change of mindset and mentality, but still there are some, uh, some big issues. Probably they will be solved slowly. But as long as not everyone is doing his job and understand why they're doing this job, I don't foresee a, a, a big change. And I'm speaking about, we have some analysis uh, created with the, the platform that we, we provide to several uh, big institutions and uh, corporations, is that I would say at least 80 to 85% of the vulnerabilities are things that can be solved in um, just a few clicks or just a few uh, 
updates of location or uh, it's they're really basic things but a lot of uh, it operations they're complaining look the business doesn't allow me to put down the service even for half an hour to upgrade this and this is the maturity of the business uh, that needs to be also considering cybersecurity, understand that, look, it's better to put down in a controlled way a service for a specified amount of time by keeping also the, the SLA to your clients to protect the clients than to have something could happen unexpectedly. You don't know when, maybe it's out of your uh, operating hours and you're in a crisis mode. I went um, last year in October to a cybersecurity conference in, uh, in Singapore and uh, they were having some uh, cybersecurity awareness um, advertisement on the TV, on uh, YouTube, on everywhere where if they could push for advertising content regarding cybersecurity issues. And it was a very nice video with someone calling at uh, the bank because they couldn't log in into the um, internet banking system. And support from the bank said, yes, we know there is a problem, but because there is a, a big cyber attack going on now, we decided to stop the service to protect your money and your valuable, and we'll get back to you as soon as everything is working fine. So they have this mentality, which is really well set. And the person that I was speaking in, in the government from Singapore they pushed this very well into the society and they said, look, we are at risk. We are for sure at some point where we might not be able to, to say, okay, it's completely secure 100%, but we can assure you that we're doing everything that is necessary, that the moment that an attack happens, we will stop it, or at least we will, we will not let it affect your valuables, either safety or... Uh, life or money or whatever. The mentality that I found in Singapore in terms of cybersecurity awareness, I didn't find it anywhere in the world until now. There's, there's actually a really nice um, advert that's I've seen on YouTube over the last couple of months, uh, which is uh, by a company called Hiscox. Um, and they, they stage a, a real life or real world cyber attack on a, uh, a Brompton bicycle shop um, in, in Shoreditch. Um, and, and basically what they do is that they show the different uh, stages of, uh, of a cyber hack, but on a real world shop. Is that been open the whole time? Well, I feel like I'm in some parallel universe. That's so weird. See how it's not even going to be? What? Who are you writing? What the hell? I'm really confused. This is terrible. Looking at the the state of you know the cyber attacks that we've seen over the last couple of years with British Airways and the Marriott Hotel Group, for example, obviously you'll have limited information um, regards to what actually happened with those breaches. But um, do you have any thoughts on how those hacks could have been avoided? From what it has been publicly available. Um I think that it falls into the same risk measures that uh, need to be countermeasures that need to be uh, applied to, to everything. So in 
I don't know, let's take, for example, the Marriott case. It's a classical thing, and it's not the first time, and probably it won't be the last time when the acquisition of a new company poses the whole corporation to a very high risks. The business wants to take over the company very fast, to do the merging very well, but there are so many other aspects that uh, need to be taken into consideration. Uh, starting from, for example, the alignment of the two corporation um, human interactions, the way that each corporation works is sometimes different. And I would say in most of the cases, it's different. So the first thing starts at how the two new teams are interacting at social level. After we go after the, 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 the human part, then we can go into networking details, into um, exchange of data, into um, classification of data to reach the same levels. So I think that the main problem was in, in a merit case to think that they did not do a, a really good risk analysis uh, in terms of cybersecurity threats of the former company. But even at the moment where you have a very secure company and another very secure company that starts interacting and trusting each other, there might be um, issues uh, from the interaction. So probably there was some lack of uh, risk management in the beginning of, of these cases. On the other hand, the bigger the company it is, it is clear that it's harder and harder to to keep the balance between, let's say, business usability and um, the security, which is always constrictive and which is restricting all the access everywhere. This is how you do uh, security. But on the other hand, you have the business which says, look, we need to be more open. We need to let the information flow. We need to to make money, not to, to block the money. Because in the end, if you're having a very good security, but it takes very long time to do something, you're losing money. So you need to, to find the balance between these two. What is uh, where is the, the threshold that you, you need to, to, to set? But also, uh, the British um, Airways, it's very complex. I mean, I, I did some assessments for airports and the level of interaction that they have with a lot of other systems which are not under their control, it's so high that it's quite hard to say, okay, we're going to do this like that and we're going to be 100% sure that everything is secure. But on the other hand, what's really important, and I see a, a very big uh, gap in, uh, in implementation in a lot of things, is what are the detection mechanisms? Because these are coming more and more in, in uh, important, as anyone uh, from this field can say. Look, you cannot have one hundred percent security, but if you can detect the first second that something happened, then you have a big advantage on, on the incident response management plan. I was looking now, also uh, the latest big hack, let's say, with the Bank of Valletta in Malta, thirteen million. Uh, vanished from the bank, they had to close completely the internet connection of the bank and all of the ATMs in the country. You could say, okay, 30 million is not such a big hack. We had worse in the, in the past. What was the reaction time? Hard to say, but still 30 million is 30 million. 
And even for a bank, I think that's quite an amount of money. And in, in this case, the, the conversion from data to money was immediately. It was like transferring money. So you don't need to convert the money anymore. It's not like when you're accessing, I don't know, uh, data from Marriott or data from, from British and you need to, to monetize somehow those information. That's a two-step hack, let's say. But in cases like banks, it's a, it's a direct thing. So if we look towards the future then, Radu, 2019 looks to potentially see the release of 5G. And whilst it's undoubtedly uh, going to improve the customer experience when it comes to IoT products, uh, 5G will also bring with it new threats to data security. Um, what do you see as the main threats that 5G will bring and, and how can we protect ourselves from them as well? 5G is um, the evolution for SCADA systems, okay? So the, all the automation in, in the factories now, the devices are a lot smaller and a lot more used in, in every, every field and starting from medicine to transportation to everything. What I'm looking at, um, from my point of view, the biggest threat in terms of 5G is that you're having quite a lot of power in a small device which is connected to the internet and which have a lot of deployments with uh, good connections like, I don't know, let's say uh, CCTV cameras. And here I see a big problem related to the moment when someone is creating a botnet using these devices. There have been several uh, denial of service attacks currently where the source were different cameras. So I would put on the first place the threat of denial of service due to botnets created on a specific type of product or a specific type of products, uh, a complete series of products. This is on one side. On the other side is that there are the classical threats from the automation part where you're having a, a sensor connected to your home, for example, and if you can tamper with the input data to that sensor, then that sensor probably is connected to some automation mechanism that will trigger to, I know, raise your temperature in the home or lower your temperature or start your sprinklers for water in the garden. And tampering with the input uh, of such a system, you're automatically modifying the output of such a system. And this is, uh, I would say, the, the second uh, problem of it. And I would put on top, on the last uh, position in top three, I would put the fact that being small devices, autonomous, connected to the internet, uh, where such a device is being used for an attack, it's a little bit harder to track it. Also, I'm looking at drones where you can have also very high speed drones with wireless, with 3G, with GPS. There are plenty of things which can uh, happen from uh, attacks using drones. I'm looking at, I think it was on Latin Airport when someone flew a, a drone over the airport area. So the whole airport was blocked. No more flights are coming or, or going for, I don't know, one hour or something like that. 
these are also, from my point of view, the area of autonomous systems that can uh, affect uh, a whole uh, infrastructure. What advice would you offer to our listeners about the basic essentials of cybersecurity? I think the first um, direction where we should look at is the awareness. After the awareness, this automatically will increase slowly the maturity level and uh, the, the the trainings in, in uh, cybersecurity now, they are really fortunate, the guys which are now uh, working in this field, because you have plenty of specific trainings on almost any subject that you can think of. It's something that to, to be appreciated and something that people should take advantage of. Um, and I think the most important thing is don't think for one second that that won't happen to me. It can happen at any point in time and even randomly. Maybe you're not the target, you're just a random uh, casualty, but it can happen. Always look up left, right, front and back for everything that uh, can affect you or that can affect the the, the company where you're working because it's that classical quote which says that the chain is as uh, strong as its weakest link and in a lot of cases the weakest link is the human element the human vulnerability and here there is a whole long discussion that we can have maybe on another podcast yeah, yeah I, I think that's definitely true it could be a whole series of itself i think um my final question that i ask everybody that appears on the podcast is how, how do you switch off from work and the, and the world of cybersecurity? You, you said at the start about how when you were younger you were spending 14 to 16 hours at your computer um basically learning um and teaching yourself more and more about how computers worked and and, and the background Background of uh, of computers uh, is that something you still do, or do you manage to now actually, when you leave work, leave it mentally as well as physically? So currently, uh, my time is split into let's say four parts. First part is the consulting part that I'm doing uh, with the parliament. After that, I need to disconnect a little bit from what's set uh, in the morning and the second part starts with running last year i did my first marathon this year i'm planning to do two of them or even three if i'm able so i started running because i found that this disconnects me very well and i can clear up my mind and come back home and continuing the the other part of the work which is the, the management of uh, my company and the um, the product development of the vulnerability tracking platform and of the services around it. The, the third part is the, the personal part where I'm trying to disconnect and read something non-business related. And as often as I can, but at least uh, two times per month, I'm traveling somewhere to to see and feel new experiences i would say all over the world 
my thanks to Reduce the Nescu. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And if you've missed any of our previous episodes with Richard Zalewski, Steve Wright or Philip Blake, you can hear them all on itglobalmarket.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for more People of Tech.